morning, everybody. Welcome this morning to our time together at the Digital Cathedral. It's that Sunday morning uh, time slot when we just get together and talk about the things of God and explore maybe some things in uh, perspective that we haven't thought about before. And I think we may do that this morning. I want to pick up where I left off last week and we talked about wisdom. And I want to go through the book of James. What I want to do is look at James and what he had to say about wisdom. And then we're going to, we're going to kind of piece it all together and wrap up this little six-week study that we've had that's been a little bit of a diversion from the unlimited, although it has been an intricate part of the unlimited life. Just to get us thinking in the right direction this morning, let me read a quick verse from the Passion Translation. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says this, the entire universe, the entire cosmos, not just people, but everybody, everything, is standing on tiptoe yearning. Boy, yearning is an intense longing. When you stand on your tiptoes, it's because you want to see what's going on. You ever been in a parade and been about the fourth row back? You stand on your tiptoes so that you can see all the floats and the marching bands and everything that comes by. So they're standing on tiptoes to make sure they get a good view of this. And what are they yearning? What are they longing to see? What are they standing on tiptoes uh, to get a good view of? To see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. That's you. You're a glorious son and you're a glorious daughter of the Father this morning. So when we talk about the manifestation of the sons of God, which is the unveiling, the, the passion says unveiling. New King James says the manifestation of the sons of God. When we, when we think about uh, us manifesting, the first thing that probably comes to most of our minds is the miraculous. You know, the signs, the wonders, the, the things that really are attention getters, the, the crowd stoppers, the show stoppers. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Healing people, signs, wonders, miracles, laying hands on people. They fall out in the spirit, you know, and uh, that's what people gather in stadiums to experience and to see. Uh, and most people that go down, I found, don't get up much different than when they went down. There's not a whole lot of change that takes place. Now, I'm not going to get into all that, but I'll just tell you this. Uh, I've been prophesied to, pushed to the floor, hands laid on me, imparted to by some of the biggest charismatic platform superstars that are on the scene. And I'm not against any of that. I'm, don't don't flick me off here today. Don't Don't end the video right here. Don't end the teaching. I'm not against that stuff, but what I am saying is this. I have counseled for hours upon hours with people that have notebooks literally filled with prophecies that they have received from, from so-called prophets. And I'm not, you know, there are prophets. I'm not diminishing that, but I have sat with people. I'm trying to make a point about the manifestation of the sons of God for where I want to go this morning. I've sat with people that have notebooks full of prophecies, none of which have come to pass, none of which have happened. And they're very disillusioned. They're discouraged. They're disappointed. They feel guilty, condemned, like something must be wrong with me because all these words have come to me and none of them have been fulfilled. I'm not the apostle of the Northern Hemisphere like was prophesied or I don't have that uh, $2 million a year business that someone said that I would be starting. I'm, I'm still single. I still don't have children. Whatever, whatever the notebook is filled with and they come to me and when I was pastoring in the building, and they would say, Pastor, what's, what's going on here? What, what's wrong? Is it, tell me what, where I've missed it. And we always put condemnation and guilt on ourselves when things like that happen. But I'll tell you, that, those things never Im impacted me much, never changed my life. Uh, when they, I, I have received a lot of prophecies in, in my day, and, and um, I'm not going to get into them, but most of them are just fluff. They're just things that you would like to hear about yourself. But what has impacted me is this. What has impacted me are words that carry wisdom. Words that have a, have a, a ring to the Father's heart to them, that untangle questions or difficult situations that I'm facing. And someone with wisdom speaks to me and helps me. Maybe they didn't even understand that they were untangling something for me or bringing me an understanding of something that I needed at that particular time. I have been impacted more by wisdom, which is very, very down to earth, rubber meet the road, than all the prophetic words that I've ever received. So 
Wisdom is a direct flow of life that comes from the Father through one of two ways. It comes through your actions or through your words, and it flows from you to other people. So that's what I really want to talk about tonight. It's called wisdom. <clears throat> that's called wisdom. Wisdom, the Greek word for wisdom is Sophia, and it means a divine insight, a divine ability, a divine knowledge. And that's what wisdom is. It's divine insight, it's divine skill, it's divine knowledge, it's the Father speaking through you, it's the Father disclosing through you uh, some piece of information that's going to help somebody along the way. And there are some distinguishing marks to the wisdom that comes from above, and we're going to get into that this morning. But it comes it comes out of speaking out of your divine nature. It comes out of demonstrating your divine nature. Um, it, it might be one big thing that we've overlooked. I haven't heard a lot of teaching on wisdom. Haven't heard a lot of uh, mention of what wisdom is. So I, I wanna I wanna put that into the mix this morning of what we've been talking about. We've been talking about an unlimited life, and we talked about the power source, which is union. We talked about the perspective, which is seeing from your position heavenly places. We talked about imparting, uh, passing to others before you depart, impart before you depart. And now I've spent two weeks on, this is the second week I've spent on wisdom. And I, I want you to get a, a real clear picture of what wisdom actually is. It's, it's the heart of the Father that is, it comes in spoken word and demonstration of life. It's what Jesus came to show us. Jesus imparted wisdom. Let me just run through three or four scriptures about wisdom so that you can get a good understanding maybe of what I'm talking about. Now remember wisdom is Sophia, Greek word Sophia. It's divine insight, divine skill, divine knowledge. It's, uh, it's what comes through you, through your words, through your actions, that is beyond you. All right, now watch what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him, Jesus, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. So Jesus is your wisdom. He became wisdom for us and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All right, those are, those are other dimensions that maybe we'll get into in the next few weeks. But I, what I want you to see uh, this morning is that the Father has imparted to us through Jesus, wisdom, Sophia, divine insight, divine skill, divine knowledge. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and let's read one verse. I think I might have read this last week. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, in whom, speaking about Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And where, where does the Christ live? He lives within you. So let's just safely say that within you potentially lives all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. So when you receive a revelation, when you receive divine knowledge, wisdom is able to express that revelation. It's able to express that divine knowledge that has been imparted to you. Jesus not only had great insight about the Father, revealed great things about the Father, but he was able to demonstrate it and verbalize it in a way that is still impacting generations today. All right, so in Jesus are hidden all the treasures. They are treasures. They're treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and that resides within you. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 2, because I want you to see that this is a, a progressive walk that you have in your life. Luke chapter two, and Jesus is the pattern here. Luke chapter two and verse 52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom. <clears throat> so you do increase in wisdom. You do increase in Sophia. You do increase in divine insight, skill, and knowledge. It's something that continues to grow within you. The bigger your Jesus gets, the more wisdom flows. And I want you to see that Jesus grew in that. There's nothing wrong with growing it. There's nothing wrong with saying, look, I don't, I don't understand that quite yet. I'm, I'm waiting for some wisdom from God to untangle it, to show me the, the, the solving of that mystery. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus developed. He grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. 
And then in Mark chapter 6, I want you to see that other people recognize its release in your life. Other people are astounded by the wisdom that you display, even as they were Jesus. Luke chapter 6 and verse 2. I'm reading out of the New King James. And when the Sabbath had come, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and, they, and, and, and those that were hearing him, and many were hearing him, they were astonished, saying, when they heard Jesus verbalize, they said, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is giving him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So you know what? You know what really opens the door to the, to the signs and wonders and the miracles? And I think we've totally overlooked that. It's wisdom. When they heard the wisdom, all of a sudden, they begin to recognize, look, where is this coming from? How did, where did this man tap into this at? Wisdom can be imparted by words, and it can also be simply imparted by the presence that you carry. When you come into a room, the atmosphere changes. I'm going to say that again and again until you understand, and you're conscious of that, that when you walk into a situation, you walk into a room, the atmosphere changes because of what, not because of you, but because of what you're bringing to the game, what you're bringing to the table. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse, I think it's 15, 16. It says that when Peter came into town, just the shadow of Peter, just the shadow, just his, it was his actions. It wasn't, it wasn't so much even what he said. It was just his actions. Wisdom said, don't talk. See, wisdom said, Peter, don't say a word. Just walk down the street. See, that's a, that's what I'm driving at. That's a demonstration of wisdom. Wisdom, Sophia, is divine insight, it's divine skill, and it's knowledge, but it's divine skill as well. So it's not only verbalized, it's walked out. So wisdom will tell you how to walk into a situation. It told Peter, Peter, don't say anything. You have an anointing. Just walk down the street. Wisdom said, just walk, just, just, just go. And as he did, signs, wonders, and miracles took place. Now, James was a half-brother of Jesus, so James had a pretty, pretty good bird's-eye seat of what was going on in the life of Jesus. He saw it in operation, and he outlined it. Now, here's what's going to develop in you. Okay, this is, that was all kind of introduction. Here's what's going to develop in you, and this is just another brick in your sonship development. It's another, uh, it's another brick in your demonstrating uh, your identity, who you really are. Divinity is identity. Your identity is divinity. You're partaker of the divine nature. You're a joint heir with Jesus. Uh, you're after the pattern of the first son. So this, this is just putting another brick in the wall that will help you to understand what it is you have, what it is you can demonstrate, and how it is to be demonstrated. So I think wisdom is a key. It's a big key. Solomon Let's look at this for just a minute. I think I know that I read this verse last week because this is kind of where I left off. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 1. Pro uh, Solomon is attributed, I don't know if he was the wisest man that ever lived, but that's, uh, that's the press he has, isn't it? That why, if you ask, who's the wisest man ever lived? Uh, people say, well, Solomon, of course. So here's what Solomon said. He said, wisdom has built her house. Right? A house is a life. So wisdom is a thing that's going to build your life. That's, that's important. Don't you think we ought to find out and explore all we can about wisdom? If wisdom is, the wisest man said that wisdom is going to build your life. It must have built his life or he couldn't have, or he couldn't have said that. He must have had an insight into that. Wisdom has built her life. She has hewn out seven pillars. Now a pillar is something that is used to support a structure, Right? Uh, uh, it's, it's the foundation. It's what holds it up. It's what keeps it in place. It stops it from falling. So I want to learn. I want to learn these seven pillars that stop my life from falling, from tilting, from becoming uh, obtuse, from becoming something that it shouldn't become, right? I don't want my life to crash. So Solomon said that wisdom has built a life, a good life. And it has seven dimensions to it. Now, that's where James comes in, half-brother of Jesus. Over in James chapter 3, I'm going to show you what the seven are this morning. We're going to spend the rest of the time that we have together talking about these seven because these are going to manifest in your life 
And you know what? I know they are on some level today, but I, I want you to, to get the full impact of what these seven are because I may say this several times. These reveal the walk of Jesus. This is how Jesus demonstrated the heart of the Father. This is the heart of the Father. This is how, this is how we show ourselves. This is how it's demonstrated, right? James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, all right? So the wisdom that comes from where you're seated. Remember, we talked a whole week about your perspective. Your perspective is from your seat in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the wisdom that is from above, from that higher dimension, the greater vibrational level, uh, uh, an elevated consciousness, okay? The heaven that is within you. The wisdom that is from above is another seven of these. And we're going to look at them. I'm going to read them all, then we'll come back and explore each of them individually. The wisdom that is from above is first peaceable, first pure, number one pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. All right, so he lays out seven. Now, I'm, what I'm going to maintain, I'm going to connect that to what Solomon said. Now, you say, well, that's, that's kind of a far reach. Maybe it is. I don't know, but it fits well for me. I think Solomon said that wisdom builds a house. So then James turns around. I think, honestly, if you ask my sincere opinion, this is my opinion, I just submit it to you for consideration. I think James looked back at Solomon, what Solomon said, and I think that James began to think, okay, what does this wisdom look like? How's this wisdom demonstrate? And he began to think about his half-brother Jesus, the way that Jesus walked, the way that Jesus talked. Jesus, the full revelation of the Father. Jesus, the man that was 100% divine, 100% human. What did he have? What did he, what did he bring to the table? How did he demonstrate that identity as divinity that's so important? So he began to think, well, the first thing that I saw about Jesus was that the wisdom that he demonstrated, and remember, we're talking about application of an unlimited life. This is the application of the unlimited life. When I read these, just before I get into them, I've got to say this. Something really, something smacked me about those. The wisdom that James mentions is lived out in your actions, not just your words. Now, it comes two ways. It comes actions, comes words. But if you don't live out wisdom's actions, I don't need your words. I want to see the wisdom in action. And I think that's what caught James's attention about his half-brother Jesus, was the actions of Jesus lined up with his words. That's, a, that's an important way to live, isn't it? We want our actions and our words to fit together. We want them to be woven together. I don't wanna, I don't wanna talk one way and act another. And if I act one way but don't, don't verbalize it, then it has no impact to it. So the two go together. This, this wisdom is lived out in your actions and your words. You can't fake it very long. You cannot fake these seven very long. It's not just talking a good game. It's bringing your A game to life. It's bringing your A game in front of people. It's, it's demonstrating. It's demonstrating the wisdom that comes from that higher perspective to which you have joined yourself, your perspective. So let me, let me just, let me walk through these. Let me get back over to James and let me walk through these seven for you. And as these begin to merge in your life, don't be shocked, don't be surprised, because uh, this is what the Father is developing in sons that the entire universe is standing on tiptoe expectation to see unveiled. This shows where you're coming from. All right, so in that 17th verse, first thing he says is the wisdom that is from above is first pure. All right, it's first pure. Let me just lay my, my Bible down there because we're going to come back through some of this. I'm not going to give you all the Greek words for these. <clears throat> I'm not going to give you all the, all the Greek words, but I'm just going to tell you what they mean. Fair enough? Uh, because if I told you the Greek words, it doesn't matter <clears throat> anyway. But I think the pure thing is first by order. I think pure, it, it's got to first of all be pure. What does that mean? It means it has priority and importance. It's... Um, when it's pure, it's free from flesh opinion. Oh my goodness. It's free from flesh opinion. We all got opinions about everything. 
You ask me, I'm, I'm learning this, okay? I want, I want the wisdom that comes from me to be pure. So I'm learning that I don't have to be opinionated. I'm trying, even in my Facebook posts, not to be opinionated. I'm trying to let what comes from me to be pure, right? It, it, it means it's free from prejudice, free from fault finding. See, all those things, all those things are contaminants to pure wisdom. When you minister out of the kingdom that is from within, when you minister out of the, the truth and the life that is from in, it's pure. It's the Father's wisdom. There's no mixture to it. It's pure tree of life. The tree of life has no mixture to it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is full of mixture because you're giving your opinion, your view. You're trying to find out what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, and you're trying to put, mix it all together. So a lot of you gets involved in it. But when you speak pure, you speak from the tree of life, you speak strictly from the wisdom that is from above. That's from the perspective from which you're seated, and it is pure. It brings pure light and love as a flow out of your heart. When your belly flows living water that comes out, that water's pure. It doesn't have you know a particle of manure in it. If it had a particle of manure in it, it wouldn't be pure, right? You wouldn't drink it. You would want no part of it. So the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Wisdom rides out on the spirit of your words as much as it does the words. Let me say that again. Pure wisdom rides out on the spirit. It's got to be a pure spirit that comes forward that dispenses the wisdom. And it rides out on the spirit of your words as much as your words. That's why... Texting and email sometimes can be totally taken in the wrong way because there's no spirit that be, is behind it. You can't detect the spirit. I've, I've, had, I've had texts, I've had emails that have come to me that I have totally misunderstood the person's heart and motive was in. I've taken it one way, they meant it entirely a different way. I've, I've been on the other end of that. I've texted or emailed people and they have come back and were offended or hurt. And it was not my intention. It was not my, my desire to do that. But they, because I didn't have face-to-face -face communication, they couldn't sense the spirit that rode out on my words. And so it didn't sound pure. It sounded very polluted. It wasn't what I intended. Or on the other hand, it wasn't what they intended to me. So. The, the best dispensing, and this is you know how Jesus walked, it was face-to-face -face communication. He'd have texts, emails, so they could catch the spirit that wrote out on what he said and the way that he acted, the way that he postured himself, they could see it. They could sense it. And that's an important part of dispensing pure wisdom. All right? Second of all, he said the wisdom is from above. Second of all, is peaceable. Peaceable. I like peaceable. I like being around peace. I don't like chaos. I don't like confusion. Now, the Greek word that is used for peaceable there, it's used in one other place. So I'm going to put a little bit different spin on peaceable because remember, the, the objective of the Father is for you to demonstrate and reflect his peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I to you. He said, my peace I give to you. Paul said, if you keep your mind stayed on him, you'll live a life that is in perfect peace. So the end game of all that the Father's developing in us is that we be dispensers of peace. There's not a lot of peace in our world today. Father wants there to be peace. All right, I got to keep moving. I got to get through these seven today because uh, I've got so much to teach you in the days and the months that are ahead that I can't slow down, slow down much, okay? But there's a twist to this I want to put. And the other place that this word peaceable is used is in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. And I wanna I want read that for you because remember the end game of the Father is always to demonstrate peace in our life. So here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. He said, no chastening. That word chastening, you know, that, that's not a, I don't like that word well uh, because when you think of chastening, you think back to the day when mama beat your butt with a spoon or a hairbrush, or you know, dad walloped you on your backside with his hand. That's that was chastening, and uh, that was not pleasant. That's not that's not what chastening means here. Chastening is a discipline. That's what a better word would be discipline. Some versions I think put discipline in there because it really is a disciplining. And he says uh, in this eleventh verse, no. Let me, let me just inject that. No disciplining seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields, watch, the peaceable fruit. Peace, peace has fruit. It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that are trained by this discipline. So for, for the end product, 
to be disciplined, you have got to be able to submit to this discipline that the Father brings to you. And let me say this, the discipline of the Father involves your soul. It's soul training. That's what discipline is. Your soul is a strong, your soul is, uh, for most people, is the strongest part of spirit, soul, and body. It's the soul that dominates your mind, your will, and your emotions. So the the, the, the soul wants to rule your life. He, he, the, the emotions, uh, your mind, your intellect wants to run your life. So you know what the father does? The father disciplines that. He lets the soul man go out in strength. If soul man can go out full of pride and arrogance, thinking he knows what's best, he can go out with tons of confidence, but the father allows that soul to go out and be humiliated. He really does. He allows it to be put in, put down for it to be defeated. Soul man starts a business. The father never said start a business. Soul starts a business because he knows how to do it. He's got business principles. He understands the world of business. Father says, good soul man, go start it. And the business goes kerplunk. You've just undergone soul training. You've just undergone the discipline of the father. And that soul that went out in arrogance and pride, feeling boastful, it comes back with its tail tucked between its legs in humility and it begins to submit to the spirit. Do you understand the picture I'm drawing? Now, when that takes place, then peace begins to arise in your life because you're getting your life in order of spirit, soul, and body. It's not to be soul or body, soul, and spirit. Yes, most people, to put those three in order, they always go body because they're led by body, then soul and spirit's last. Uh, Paul flips that over in 1 Thessalonians and he says, I pray that you're, you be sanctified or separated entirely. And he puts it in right order, spirit, soul, and body. So the Father's discipline involves, I, most of the time, your soul, your emotions, getting your emotions in check, not being, not being offended, letting your emotions rise up and, and strike back and walk in unforgiveness. That's all soulish, that's all soulish dimension. And it doesn't, it doesn't yield peace. So the Father works on that and disciplines that. The Father's discipline, if you yield to it, if you submit to it, and he'll keep working at it until you do, it, it is characterized, if you submit to it, by peace. That's the purpose of the chastisement or the discipline. It's the Father pruning the plant back so that it can yield more fruit. The Prince of Peace, we, we, we read it. The Prince of Peace learned the things that he learned through suffering, right? He was made perfect through pushback, through uh, facing situations where his soul couldn't get him through. And he began to lean more and more on the Father. Uh, the Prince of Peace learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And Suffered doesn't mean that, that father let him get sick. Doesn't mean father uh, beat him with a stick. It means that his soul underwent training. Discipline needs to be done in wisdom. And the father, the father applies max wisdom to your chastisement, to your, max wisdom to your discipline. And as he does, we yield to it, right? We yield to it. Then we come back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You want to be called a son of God? Then be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. It's a lot harder to, to, uh, to uh, make peace than it is to keep peace. You can walk into a peaceful situation and maintain it, but a peacemaker, the sons of God, walk into a situation, and because of the, the discipline of the Father, the training they've undergone, they're able to make peace in a situation and an environment that's totally chaotic, that's totally filled with anxiety and stress. You can walk in, that's why I say when you come into the room, the atmosphere changes because of the presence you carry. You carry the presence of the wisdom of the Father. All right, I gotta keep going. Number three, he said the wisdom that is from above is gentle. It's gentle. Now remember, we're talking about the heart of the Father, the way he expresses himself through the perfect reflection of Jesus. Gentle. Wisdom is from above gentle. That means it's appropriate. It's suitable. It's fair. It's forbearing. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't insist on the letter of the law. It doesn't insist on its own way. Gentle is full of grace. Gentle is full of grace. It's full of undeserved favor. It gives everybody the benefit of the doubt. In other words, it looks at the situation, when it's gentle, it looks at it from a reasonable point of view. 
it, it sees all the facts fairly. It is without, uh, uh, without prejudice. That's a good way to see it. It sees all the facts fairly. In, 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 it's interpreted in the, in the King James, I think, as moderation, right? Moderation. Let me read Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5. This might just throw a little bit. I want you to, he wants us to be gentle, wants us to be fair. He wants us to be able to, to look at a situation and evaluate it without just jumping right in and being opinionated. That's the soul training. You're going to come back and stop that. He's going to develop gentleness in us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Boy, in Texas, that's tough. Because Texas, man, we're, we're, we're two-fisted. Uh, we're men, you know, we're self-made, we're strong. He says, you know what? Let your gentleness, let the grace that flows through it, let people see that. People are drawn to that. It's a, it's a moderation. Let's be gentle and considerate, right? Others' needs and weaknesses need gentleness. They don't need harshness. They don't need judgment. See, that's not what gentleness is. Gentleness is not judgmental. Gentleness is very accepting, all right? Then number four, he says it's easy to be entreated. Easy to be entreated. What, what that means is it's approachable. That's what that word entreated means. It means it's approachable. You know what? We should always be approachable. We should always be easy to be approached. The, 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 uh, the father is, he, Hebrew says, let us come with boldness to the throne of grace. See, he's very approachable. The throne of grace is approachable that we might find mercy to help in the time of need. So it's easy to be entreated. It's willing to yield. It's open to reason. It doesn't uh, uh, have to have its own way. It's accommodating. Christians, man, Christians, you know this as well as I do. Some of you have bumped your head with a lot of Christians that you cannot approach them. They're the toughest people to approach because they spit out judgment immediately. There's so much soul training going on right now in the body of Christ that the Father is teaching us through difficult situations. Difficult situations. He, he lets the soul man lead you into it because he wants you to be approachable. He wants you to be easy to talk to, not hard to talk to. People shouldn't feel intimidated by us. Every once in a while, I have somebody, you know, at a conference or something say, man, I was, I was afraid to come up and talk to you. I was I felt intimidated. I don't want anything from my demeanor or my exterior or what I put out in my posturing or my words to ever make anybody ever feel uncomfortable in my presence. Jesus didn't. The most down and out person felt very much at home in the presence of Jesus. Um, when, you're, when you're easily to be approached, uh, it, it, it means that you're um, open to suggestions. You're teachable, you're learnable, right? A person who is easy to entreat is also open to be changed by the spirit of truth. I'm convinced some people can't be approachable by the spirit of truth even. It also means when, let me say this, it also means when somebody else has a revelation that you haven't seen or maybe it seems a little bit off the wall to you, you don't poo-poo it. You let them express it, right? Then in gentleness, you can, you can say what you feel out of your heart but man, you don't get in somebody's face when you're gentle. You don't, you don't demand, you don't slam your, your fist on the table and tell them what a heretic they are. That's not, that's not gentleness in action. The mind gets renewed when we become approachable. And you, that softness allows the spirit of truth to come and change us. You can be so, so hard that the spirit of truth can't even approach you. You know, you think you got it all nailed down, think you got your theology all boxed up, you got it perfected. That's not gentleness, right? The number five thing, and I've got to keep going. Number five, he said, it's full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy means it's compassionate, has kindness, uh, goodwill, especially when you see somebody that's miserable. This is where mercy comes in. When you see somebody that's really hurting, when you see somebody that's miserable, mercy... Is not just uh, empathetic or compassionate. Mercy has a desire to help. You know, it, there, there's the desire to a help that is attached to this thing of mercy. You're willing to invest your resource, willing to invest your time in the one that is afflicted. Remember the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan showed mercy. He was willing to invest. He didn't just 
feel sorry. He didn't just walk over and say, man, let me help you up and dust you off. I got to be on my way. I've got, I've got an appointment to get to. He was willing to slow down. See, it was, he was gentle. He was approachable. He was full of mercy and he was willing to invest. Mercy always is willing to invest. Let me just knock out three, four scriptures on mercy because this is a big one. This is, this is big. Ephesians chapter two and verse four. Ephesians chapter two, verse four says, God who is rich in mercy. Now watch, it demonstrates, it gets involved. He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So God's mercy was demonstrated in his desire to help us and be demonstrated by the love that he poured out upon us. All right, Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four in verse 16. I think I quoted this just a little bit ago. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So he's, he's willing to pour out, you know how his mercy demonstrates? Grace. Grace gets involved where you live. Grace begins to uh, give you that influence that changes you without your effort. Grace comes and is deposited into your life. It starts working, all right? Watch this, Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three and verse five. Titus chapter three. Uh, let me get back here. Come on, Titus. Titus chapter three and verse five says this. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, right? So mercy got involved. What did mercy do? Mercy saved us. It wasn't by good works we were saved. It was by mercy that we were saved. Finally, 1 Peter chapter 1. This is one of my favorite verses of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy has begotten us again. So in all those scriptures that I just quoted, mercy got involved. Mercy did something. Mercy had an action. It wasn't a standoffish, uh, uh, I wish I could do something for you, or I'm sorry for you, I feel empathetic for you. It's evidence of character. It's evidence of our Christedness. Jesus demonstrated great mercy. I mean, they're pounding nails in his hands. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He, 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 he didn't just uh, say, I, I feel bad for them. I feel sorry for them. Uh, no, he acted. He did something. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Our mercy doesn't give people what they deserve. That's the point I want to make. Mercy doesn't give people what they deserve. Mercy doesn't stand back and look at that guy at the corner and say, ah, you know what, he, he should get a job. He, he deserves that plight. He deserves to be hungry, wear those old dirty clothes. No, mercy, mercy doesn't give people what they deserve. Mercy extends a hand and it actively gets involved in helping the people in the situation that they're in. All right, number six. Mercy does not have partiality. Does not have partiality. No favoritism is played. God doesn't have favorite children. God does not have some sons he loves and other sons that he hates. See, that's, that's Calvinism. God loves some. God predestined some to live with him, and he predestined others to be cast into hell, and he gets glory out of that. That's crazy. That's nonsense. His love is without partiality. The Christ in us never shows prejudice. Never shows prejudice. Paul caught it in Galatians chapter 3, uh, in verse, what is it, 28, he said, in him there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, Gentile, uh, there's no uh, barbarian and free man. There's, he said, Christ is in all of them. He's even in the Scythian. He, 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 he drew out distinctions that he's not in just the spiritual. He's in not just in, in this group and not that group. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, I'm sure, I think it's 28, he draws out all these, all these contradictions, all these different, and he says, Christ is in all of them. And that's what I want you to see. There's no partiality. That's the way you and I have to live, no partiality. The only side that we're on is God's side. We're not on the side of the Democrats. We're not on the side of the Republicans. We represent the kingdom. We're not on the side of those that prayed the magic prayer as being us and those that didn't pray the magic prayers being them. That's, that's partiality. All prejudice is wisdom from below. And I don't have time to go into the wisdom that is from below, that is fleshly, that is carnal, driven by the senses. But all partiality, all prejudice comes from wisdom that is from below. It looks at somebody and says, that's what they deserve. That's what they ought to have. I judge that, right? That's partiality. 
The wisdom that is from God has no partiality to it. Are you, are you understanding? This, this no partiality will consume every warring spirit that tries to come into your life. Warring spirits demand partiality. What's right, what's wrong? What's good, what's bad? What's good, what's evil? All things work together. When you come from the tree of life, you see it through God's eyes. That's why I carefully wound the perspective before I ever got to the impartation, and I gave the impartation before you depart, impart, and I wanted to show you what it is that we impart. We impart wisdom. The revelation that you get is broken down and it's dispensed in practical ways that uh, cover these seven ways, right? Last one, it's without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. That means it's sincere. It's undisguised. All godly wisdom is honest. It's not half truth and half honest. It doesn't have white lies. It's sincere. It's not two-faced. It doesn't wear masks. It doesn't disguise itself, right? Let me, let me read from James. I think I got time to read this one. James chapter three. We, we read verses 17, but let me, let me give you just a little background on this. James chapter three. I'm almost there. Hold on. James chapter three. And let me pick it up with verse 14. James chapter three, verse 14. He says, see that you have no bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts. Don't boast and lie against the truth. The, this wisdom does not descend from above, right? But it's earthly and sensual. So how does, how does wisdom that is earthly or from below, how does it appear? It has bitterness, it has envy, it has self-seeking. And then he goes on and says, where that kind of wisdom is demonstrated, for where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil are there, they're present. So you know how you can tell when earthly wisdom is being demonstrated? There's confusion, there's envy, there's strife. Uh, people are angry, people are upset. That's not, that's not the dimension we walk in. We have dealt with two-faced people. We've dealt, my father's not two-faced. My father is exactly like Jesus. And that's why I say there's no hypocrisy in him. Father's not two-faced. He is not a murderer and an annihilator of entire cities and infants one day and turn around and be loving and merciful the next. That's two-faced. See, I don't care who wrote it. I don't care what book it's in. I don't care what canonization it passed to get into the book. If it doesn't look like Jesus, if it presents a father that is hypocritical, that he's one way this day and another way another day, you don't know how you're ever gonna catch him, that's hypocritical. See, that's why people that are filled with hypocrisy are hard to approach, because you never know how they're gonna be. That's not how the, how the father is. All right, listen. These seven pillars, Solomon called them pillars that build a, a wise house, a wise life. James, James said they, they, they look like this. The wisdom that builds your house is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, all right? Going through all these, it's easy to be approached. That's number four. Number five, it's full of mercy. Number six, no partiality. And number seven is not hypocritical in any way, shape, or form. All right, when a life expresses that, do you know what you're showing? You're showing the development of a Christocentric life, of a Christ-centered life, of a life that expresses what he expressed. And you're revealing the heart of the Father. The Father is like this. The Father will never be any way other than pure, peaceable, without hypocrisy, easy to approach. All those seven that's, that's, that's how our father looks. And the father took that and put it into Jesus, right? Jesus grew in this. He grew in wisdom. And you know how he grew? Through soul training, just like you do. Until finally, when Jesus walked for that three and a half years, he perfectly reflected all of those seven pillars that take up the, the character and the dimension that the father lives in. Now that you're seated in heavenly places by him, you do the same thing. So when we walk out the unlimited life. It's walking out the wisdom of the Father in every situation. And it's dispensing the wisdom of the Father through mercy to other people that aren't there yet. We're kind to them. We're compassionate to them before all of the world. Christ in you is one of the best kept secrets. 
And when that Christ explodes out of you, he's going to explode in these seven ways. I understand the signs and wonders and the miracles. I'm all for that. I have no problem with prophecy. I, I spend hours helping people work through their prophecies, you know, work through mine. That's all fine and dandy. But if you really want to impact people's lives, you really want to turn them around, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom. The knowledge, the revelation knowledge that you have, let the spirit of truth break it down in practical ways so that you can apply it to situations and untangle what they're in. Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Walk into the middle of life. Walk into tough situations. Walk into that, that meeting that you go to if you're on a board with a business. Walk in there where they're all, they're all stumped. They're all wondering what to do. And bring the peace of God in there and bring the wisdom of the Father into that situation and be open to let him demonstrate something through you that's beyond yourself. Don't pull it out of your head. Pull it out of your inner man. We, this is what we've been talking about for weeks, guys. It's to bring us to that place where we demonstrate and we live out the natural flow of who we are. We're not trying to be something we're not. We're just demonstrating on the level we are. Know that all these seven are going to be continually, progressively developed in your life just like they were Jesus. The Christ in you is one of the best kept secrets. And how that Christ in you develops and how it, ex how it, how it expresses itself, it comes out in wisdom, in words and in actions, both ways, both ways. He's determined to manifest himself on the earth through you uh, in full display. And he's, he's chosen you as the vessel to dispense this full range of wisdom through sons and daughters by application to as solutions that the world can't solve. Man, if ever we needed peacemakers, if ever we needed peacemakers, it's today. And when, when a peacemaker comes in, they're going to look at it like they did Jesus. Where did the guy get this wisdom from? Where did he get it from? It wasn't, you know it wasn't you talking they're going to say there's something beyond normal in this. They may not say that's a son of God, but they're going to say there's something that's beyond what that guy knows. I know how he, I know him. That was beyond him, right? So we know, all right, let me just summarize this. We know that union is our power source. And I, please, if you want, wonder what to meditate, meditate on your oneness with the Father. That's the power source. If you still have any feeling of separation, if you still see a sky God out there and you're here on planet Earth and you're trying to get the sky God to come meet your needs or you're praying for him to come with his presence, knock it off. I want you to meditate on union, oneness. Uh, you're in him, he's in you. That's just, that's just the honest truth. All right, we, we saw where our perspective is. We're seated in heavenly places. We're seeing through the eyes of the Father. Now, once we get those two things established, then we can begin to manifest. We can, begin to, we can begin to download into other people what we have, right? And what we have is the wisdom that is from above. The wisdom that is from above. And it demonstrates itself in those seven ways we talked about today. Go back over those and just say, Father, I know you're in me. I know I'm seeing through your eyes. I want you to manifest in my life by being pure, peaceable, easy to instruct. It being treated. I want to be approachable. I want to be merciful. I want to be without hypocrisy. I want to be able to show no partiality. I'll, only thing I want to say when people say, are you on our side or are you on that side? Say, I'm on nobody's side but the Lord's. I want to be able to stand for the tree of life in this world, in this dimension. All right, we've taken six weeks on that. Now, next week, I'm going to get into something. I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a shift. And the title next Sunday morning is this. You cannot finish finished. <laughs> you cannot finish finished. We're going to talk about that next week. And we're going to talk about some of the attempts that man has made to finish what Jesus said has already finished. So it's going to be foundational. It's going to be strong. But it's going to be able to equip you to help deal with people that are still trying to finish the finished work of the cross. Been good to be with you this morning. Hope you picked up some great pointers. Go back and listen to this. These last six weeks where we started with... Uh, the power source of the unlimited, the, the perspective, the impartation for two weeks and two weeks on wisdom. I would take those six. I may make a booklet out of those. Those six are powerful. Those six things, go back and listen to those teachings again and see if they don't still continually adjust you. Don't be so hungry for new knowledge that you can't go back and review 
things that the Spirit of God said. And what you're going to find when you go back and listen to the, to the digital cathedral in the weeks past, Spirit of God will show you things you didn't see before. I, I guarantee it. I guarantee. If you go back and listen to these six weeks, you'll see things you never saw before. You'll see things that you didn't hear before. You'll see things you didn't hear. You'll hear things you didn't hear. You'll see things you didn't see, right? Your understanding will open. Your consciousness will continue to develop. Thank you for being with me today. God bless you. Wednesday night, don't forget, 7 o'clock Central over on the Don Keithley ministry page. Make sure you subscribe to this channel. When you subscribe, it helps me get positioned on YouTube for more people to see what we're doing. So make sure that you subscribe. Will you do that for me? Uh, then go down and make a comment. Uh, after this is done, go down. There's a place you can make comments. Share it on your page. Share it in your group. That's what you can do. I don't do that. I share it on Don Keithley Ministries and on my Facebook page, and that's all. Look at it again. Let's share it. Let's get more people involved. Next Sunday morning would be a good time to invite somebody over that's kind of beginning to see some things. It'd be a good time to invite them to the Digital Cathedral. Bring them over to your house, give them a cup of coffee and a donut, and watch it on your big screen. Hook, hook it up to the big screen and watch, watch it live next Sunday morning. Thank you for being with me. God bless you. Thank you for your support. I appreciate the monthly help. It really does make a difference. Believe me, it makes a huge difference. Thank you for your encouragement and the messages that you send me. We'll see you next time, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., Digital Cathedral.